Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by creating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industry's best practices. I'm Alex from Evolution Recruitment, and today I am your host. Today on the panel, we have Janet Young from Lancashire Teaching NHS Foundation Trust, Mike Culshaw from Pennine Care NHS Foundation Trust, and Barry Frostick from Midit and South Essex Health and Care Partnership. We are here today to discuss all things digital transformation with the NHS and trends and topics we expect to see over the next few years from a senior level position. Just to start with some introductions, Janet, you're the first person on my screen I can see to the left, so I'm going to come to you first. Could you kindly give me an introduction to, to who you are, where you're based and what your role is? Yeah, um, I'm Janet Young. I'm the Deputy CIO for Lancashire Teaching Hospitals um, and also Head of Digital Programmes, EPR. Um, I've been uh, in the NHS, well, I've been at LTH actually for over 20 years now, for about 23 um, and worked predominantly, I haven't been in IT, I'm not what I would call a techie by the long a long stride, I'm more probably operational, core business and processes and EPR. Um, so I've done a number of different roles, uh, I've, I've done general management, outpatient services, those sort of things, I've managed and still do manage our health records scanning and our digital program team uh, in and out to different roles of IT at different times in, in my career. So it's that that's that's kind of a very whistle stop tour of my jack of all master of none, shall we say? Not allowed to say that, um, but yes, that is that's my intro, really. Thank you, Janet. Really, really uh, appreciate that. Uh, Mike, you're next on my screen. So I'm going to come down to you. That's okay. Uh, no, it's so. Uh, hi, I'm Michael Shaw. I am currently the CTO at Pennine Co. Been here now about two years, maybe two and a bit years. Um, but before that, I've done a mixture of NHS and private sector work. Seem to swap every four years or so. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Thank you, Mike. Um, and, and absolutely, last but not least, Barry, yourself? Uh, yeah, hi, Alex. Um, uh, Barry Frostick. I'm the Chief Digital Information Officer for Mid and South Essex uh, Integrated Care System. Um, uh, I'm on my third decade, uh, partway through it uh, with the NHS. Um, and being in the NHS for all of my career, so I'm not any older than what people may get from that number. Um, always been in digital, um, developer by heart, uh, and then got passionate about delivery um, and uh, making a difference. Great. Thank you so much. Cool. So a real nice mix here of sort of organisations and backgrounds. Um, I'm going to dive right into it. Some of the questions that we got sent in by each of you were, were fantastic. Um I'm going to come to yourself, Janet, first, one of the questions you proposed. So I'll propose it to the group, and if you'd like to share a bit more about that, then I'm fantastic. Um, Janet proposed, um, how do we in the NHS ensure that the fast-paced digital transformation is all-inclusive? So what, what do you want to expand a bit on that, Janet, maybe sort of reasons and meanings behind that? Yeah, so I, th- I, th- I think one of the things that I find, uh, you know, we, we are behind the curve, aren't we, in digital when it comes to the NHS. We all walk around with our bank in our pocket. You know, we all we, we all talk to each other on a massive group on WhatsApp because that just so happens what we do. Um, then when we come to work in the NHS, we expect people to, oh, you can't bring your own device, just be careful with that. Uh, or, yes, you can have one of our mobiles and you can have an iPad and you can have this and carry them all around. And, and so 
it's not just about it's obviously very much about our clinical colleagues and how they deliver their service that's 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 absolutely center uh, center of it and our patients how do they want to gather that information and do want us to share it with them that again center to everything but i do sometimes think we don't put the workforce in and there are people within our workforce that maybe can't utilize some of our equipment maybe we're giving them a laptop but yet actually they might need face recognition uh, on that laptop we don't think about that people are at home you know there's all sorts of different ways and for me it's how do we ensure that we as a digital workforce don't miss anybody we don't yet we're not going to leave the patient behind but are we absolutely sure we're not leaving any of our workforce behind mm. Mm. and are we sure. listening to everybody we're we listening to the clinicians about what they actually truly believe when we talk about mobile working is it what mm. they see mm. Barry, what do you think from an ICB level? Uh, I mean, so there's quite a range um, of areas to take that as a as a point. Um, I mean, I think there is um, one element about understanding for the area and looking at what the audience is and really taking time to actually know and understand how they're working, what those areas are. Um, if I think of a really um, a good piece that we're looking at on some of the early work we're doing um, across two of our provider organisations uh, around their electronic patient record journey. We're looking at um, the digital maturity. So actually, how from a from a usability perspective, so how um, mature and uh, capable are the workforce and the staff? in order to be able to use those new technologies and platforms because unless we start to address that kind of area we're not going to actually maximize investments for which we're making so i think there is a whole piece of work which we need to bring to the forefront around training development education um smarter working type activities in order to empower and enable our staff to have the confidence to use the tools and the confidence to use them well. Um, and quite, quite often, historically, I think that might might not have been picked up as well as it should be. So that for me, that's a real big theme across anything we do is making sure that the workforce have the appropriate level of capability to use those tools so they feel confident in every everyday work. Mm. Okay, really good point. Mike, is there anything you'd like to add? Obviously, I know you've been NHS, like you say, on and off, and now you're at Penn Eye. So, is there anything to add? So I've got a different take on that. I've got a really different take on that based on, on, on what something one of my staff said to me last year. Um, we, as, we as digital create digital stress to everybody we touch, and we can't fix that. And we can't fix that because... If you were to if you were to do a poll of your organisation say who suffers the most digital stress, eighty percent of people say it's the fifty plus generation, but it's not. You cause the same amount of stress to a new person coming into work as someone who's been there for thirty years, because someone coming into work now is not used to a keyboard. They are used to typing with their finger and talking to their device. And we go, there's a keyboard, and they go, what the hell is that? Well, that's what we're like now. That that's the problem. So the problem is, is it's not it's not the well, it is the systems because a lot of the systems and the EPRs are so old and built in such an old way with an awful UI that that's the problem. So the way the way I'm trying to look at that now is treat that as an underlying database and build out a UI in Power Apps or something like that that is simple for someone to touch and input or talk and input. 
because you can't we haven't got the money to go and get a lovely shiny epo with a nice ui mm. and i think that's the problem we, we stress everybody because we try and do a one size fits all mm. <laughs> anything uh anything side chat i can see you nodding yeah like yeah you know, I, I think both of those are, are absolutely you know where where i am it really is about the training you know the the, the idea of what we did the way we did used to train so a very IT driven training instead of simulation, you know, get that feeling. You, you know, the absolute key is getting more time. You know, we don't have the resources to sit on a ward. We need to have the resources to sit on a ward and map and watch and follow. We have to go back to what we did. We did that, didn't we, years ago, gentlemen, when we were trying to bring solutions in. Business analyst, as I was, that's what we did. And then we've got, con- you know, our continuous improvement colleagues and our transformation uh, colleagues who are fantastic as well at it. But we've got to get back to basics. And I think there is an element of, and I love that we create digital stress because we absolutely do. We do it to one another. I mean, we had an outage of our F5 portal, drained as of the workforce, you know, but then, so so have we thought that through? Have we absolutely thought through people working from home and that's what they do? You know, I, I, my PA and our, you know, Stephen, my CIO's PA, she couldn't do her job. And somebody in the, you know, our old area had said to him, well, you know, just, just pop in. She said, pop, pop in? Do you know where I live? Um, so th- there is an element of taking that in. And I also think, is it time? And I know we've done it for a while, but I, is it is it time? That we do put challenge back into the, you know, the, the the PR providers. Is this the time when their platforms need to be more intuitive? They need to be supporting us. We all know what an EPR is now. We all work with an EPR, but we wanted something that will take us forward with exactly what Mike just described there. The user that comes in, who is used to the phone, the nurse on the ward, my 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 daughter's a sister in critical care, and you know. I said to her, how, do you, how would you fancy having your phone? And she mm, I don't know about that. I'm too used to wandering away and typing. But, you know, she's in her 30s. She said, it'd be great if I could just walk and talk and it'd be going in and then I could pop that back in my pocket and carry on. Um, it's those things. And I, and I know it'll be down to, you know, it ends up coming down to the same thing, resource and finance. Mm. But then then somewhere that that has to go, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at Barry here. <laughs> yeah, because being that senior post that's probably on the pocket, um yeah what's your thought that's that's my my page thanks Jack. so Re- rebecca i mean i i am um, yeah i i know people come looking uh for money at the end of the pocket or dangle you upside down by your feet every now and then but just just joining up the start of the thread of the conversation you mentioned about bringing your own device and other other, other activities um and i i think there is a real piece around that bring your own device strategy and mentality because that you'll start to target some of this digital stress and i, I love mm. the coin phrase of digital stress I, i'm taking that away with me uh, so thanks mine copyrighted but but that but that that will start to address digital stress because you're allowing people to do the work they that they need to do on the devices they are used to using um, and I do think there is a strong line around actually challenging our EPRs, our other vendors about, uh, you know, the the user interface for which they provide those services on. Um, uh, I, I think that would help tackle. It would also mean that we've got uh, a, a reduced level of training needs. 
because nobody trains me on how to order on Amazon or how to be probably not allowed to mention supplier's name or how to do my banking on NatWest or mm-hmm. check my big collection times. I train myself for that. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's the ability for us to think about can we provide training in a different way? A five-minute snippet, a little YouTube video or, or something else like that. My children learn how to do everything off of YouTube or Instagram and these 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 up these other methods of communication for which actually we should be starting to embrace moving forward as well. Fantastic point, really do. And I understand the sort of from your avenue how that should and could be positioned. And Mike, you raise your hand there. Yeah, yeah. So we we have taken some of those concepts now to to a different level. So across the five boroughs that we operate in, we now have five digital hubs. We publish when those digital hubs are open. And they are staffed with a techie and a non-techie who knows how those applications work. So people can come and they know when they're open, they just drop in. They don't need to raise a help desk ticket or anything like that. They just come in and they get support. So I don't know how to do this in my EPR. Someone's there to tell them. Actually, my laptop's dead. Somebody there with a new one to give them one straight away to keep them working. So we do that now and that's become really, really successful. So... I, we have what's called digital support officers. Some of them are techies. Some of them are, how do I fix my applications? How do I do all this? At the same time, we run virtual digital drop-ins every Wednesday via Teams. They get about 60 to 70 people a week on them. And they come and ask. It, it's an ask any question. How do I do this? Someone sits there, helps them. It's all recorded. It's all shared. And we have a hero community that's about 110 strong now where they are supported to deliver the digital solutions that are out there. They're a person that somebody can come and ask. And and that's all of the last year. And that is so helpful and working so well that it takes some of the noise off the help desk. Mm. Some real key take- takeaways are, because, you know, when I speak to help desk individuals, and I think you all guys know, they can get so bombarded and so full to capacity where it, you know, it's almost impossible to get a ticket raise or a ticket action. Yeah. So, um, fantastic. Okay. Moving on then, because I feel we could uh, we could on these points talk for a long time, but I'm going to come on to something possibly topical for the conversation we've just had, and it's something you asked, Mike. Um, it's something that's trending in the news this week around healthcare as well with the um, the announcement of funding for AI. So you may have seen in the news that there's organisations will be now be given, uh, I think it's $21 million across the NHS funding. Um, so, Mike, you posed this question, so I'm going to come to you. Um, but the question was, what impact will AI have on digital transformation? So, a topical one, but an interesting one. So, I'm going to go to you, Mike, first. And I suppose I should have added a caveat on the end of it, and how do we try and control it? Mm-hmm. Because even this week, so we've had an incident this week where a non-exec director was able to invite a certain AI tool to all of its teams meetings and we would not have known because it just appeared as another person and if somebody hadn't spotted in that invite there was something called dot ai you would never know it was there and this thing was scraping all the information out of the meetings sending it off to america or god knows where for transcription and then bringing it back to that user and it's it feels to me certainly with AI at the minute, that it's kind of like back to pre-pandemic. So Teams was a bit sporadic and then all of a sudden Teams went everywhere and everyone jumped on it and everyone used it. And it was like the Wild West until we all then got control over it. AI feels like that at the minute, that it's everywhere. Anyone can use it. 
and we have no idea. And the impacts could be, well, it could be catastrophic at some point because how do you even write a policy or a process around something that is evolving quicker than you can write it? Um, yeah. mm. And there is quite a specific um, specific part of tech, but Janet or, or Barry, has it, has AI come up in your organisations yet? Has the, has the conversation started? Have you, Barry, you're smiling, possibly maybe it has. I'm not sure. I've got to go to you first. Have you had anything to, to do with this or at all? Uh, I mean, I, I, I also think it's worth doing a different, uh, uh, drawing a differentiation between AI mm. and IA. Um, yep. So intelligent automation rather than um, uh, artificial intelligence. But uh, mm. um, uh, so... I would agree with the comments that um, Mike's raising in terms of the concerns. I think we should be mindful of those concerns about how how and where it can be utilised. But for me, I, I think AI can provide a significant benefit around digital transformation. Well, it's not necessarily digital transformation. This is about transformation for how we can provide care. So if I think about um, the workforce shortage we've got around radiology, and um, for example, in our ability to get radiologists, uh, AI provides a really good level of capability to explore around actually that secondary function, that secondary review by a radiologist could be done by an AI machine. Yep. And we know through testing that there's platforms out there uh, which can provide that to at least the same level of accuracy rating, if not higher, um, than those of staff. So. I think there are real opportunities for us to explore how AI can um, help tackle, uh, support tackling some of our workforce challenges that we've got within the NHS um, and actually can support how we could look at doing preventative measures as well. So what are the things we can do from a preventative perspective from patients if you look at more social deprivation items and other areas? that could stop them having acute illnesses that draw them into hospitals earlier or, or manages to delay the onset of those. So I, I think AI represents a significant opportunity for the NHS, but no pun intended, it's got its health warnings and we need to be really mindful about how we manage that. Mm. Mm. Janet, has, has anything, again, it, it may not have been spoken about at Lancashire, it may have, like I said, it's, it's one of them sort of trending new things you see at the moment. What, what about yourself? So it so it has. Um, I think in a very similar way with the, the you know, the results review, um, the algorithms that can go through and, and absolutely know that they're looking for in, in specific areas that they're looking for a normal result because you can have people waiting on a waiting list for a normal result worrying themselves sick. But because they're a normal result, yeah. Consultants looking at the urgent. So we have we have dabbled in there and, and we, we you know, we are working with that with radiology. But for us, we've got a um, consultant. Uh, I think he's a colorectal consultant who who has also who is also a data scientist, and we've been very fortunate to bring him across as a as a director for, for data science, um, and and has now got a couple of people working with him that were initially in BI. One of them was a, a, a is a, a, a data data scientist. Who, who are looking at, a tr I know it's a trusted research environment, but all of it. So they're looking at mm. all of that. So they're looking at the data, what we can learn from it, NLP. You know, to give us a bit of, so Stephen's very much, Stephen Dobson is very much in the data world. He is the man of the, the, man of the hour sometimes for us. So, it, you know, he's heavily involved in that. And their view, way over my head this, but their view is very much about making it safe because it, it is dangerous. It, it could 
it could potentially, we just described something that, you know, could, mm-hmm. could be an IG risk of, of, any, of any sort. But um, yeah, so it, it is here. We are looking at it in in the way that everyone else is around results management sort of thing, but we ultimately are pulling it into our um, data science uh, mm. forum mm. so that everything that fits around, you know, RPA, Bell School, I know, but RPA, <laughs> AI, IA, I like that even better, um, interested research, et cetera, all of that comes together with the people who truly understand it. Because I do think one of the things with in the NHS, you can get a lot of, um, probably within anywhere really, it's probably anywhere where there's a, a you know, a, a real keenness for IT. You get the hobbyists, you know, the people who want to do it and have a go. But actually, the days have gone when you can do that. You need to put it somewhere safe. You can have a go and play around, but let's put it somewhere safe um, and let people test it and, and understand it. So yeah, I, th- I think it's the way that we're going. I, th- I think it has to be and I think it's really exciting. My view is just let the experts look at it first and let people clinically assess it as well and yeah. i'm going to come all the way back together it's going to be good on that one you know working together yeah. across different you know different different trusts different ics's you know because there isn't a lot of these people around who do that mm. so competition should go out the window and we should all just be working on exactly the same or maybe working on a few different problems but all working together on those few and share from it and um, i think we're getting a little bit better at that but uh yeah i think that's the way it'll work better thank you janet well, but what happens when it just becomes the norm in things that people use? So let's, you know, look at before before Christmas this year, it will be in Word, it will be in Excel, mm. it will be in PowerPoint, it's already in Edge, it mm. will be in Teams, and people will just start to use it because it will be there. And what happens when something goes wrong? Or that thing prompts an idea in someone that is just outside the ordinary, how are HR going to deal with that? Because mm. we have none of us have thought about that yet. No. And I love, I love how all the vendors are terminate co-pilot. So they're still, you know, yeah. it's there to help you, but you're still responsible if it goes wrong kind of thing. And how do, how do we write a policy around that? So you can use all this stuff, but if it sends you in a wayward path, you're accountable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. It, it is interesting. interesting. I've seen a lot. You know, your, your point you just made there about how how are our workforce teams going to deal with it? We can, we you know, we can deal with IG breaches. We can, we can deal with that now. We under, we understand what we should and we shouldn't be doing. But but what about what about the things that we can't see? Things that we can't see that people are doing and that people might not realise they're getting into. That's the fear for me. Somebody will be doing something that they think is really helping them. It's helping them in their job, but it's collating and collecting, and you don't know where it is going. It's the yeah. There is a there is a really there's a high you know real risk there. Yep. Mm. Talking the veil. Stepo wants to be um, to think of, and I think you know from my side, I've seen a lot over this past week. Obviously, with the announcement of the the funding, which you guys probably seen a lot of conversations sparked. And um, I'm a bit of a tech enthusiast myself, so I I some sort of deep into this. And there was a really good podcast. I'm currently I'm. I'm wrote another podcast whilst my own podcast here but Stephen Bartlett I don't know if you ever listened to the diary of the CEOs um, and he did a podcast with an AI expert I think it was a few weeks back and that was really interesting to listen to um, but I was really interested in your bits but I think there definitely is medical 
advantages for what you can use this but i do also agree there's the sounds like there's an element of is the nhf ready for, for this sort of tech right now and, and that's where it sort of may stem from and just conscious of time i am going to come to you janet for for one one last question which i think is we spoke about it briefly as we've gone on there and you, you mentioned it there but it's all around collaboration um and, and janet posed to the group and um, should digital transformation include collaboration across providers to deliver new ways of adopting the trends and i think it's a really good audience we have right now from Pennine, we have the mental health icb and new janet so do you want to expand further and then we can start a discussion from there yeah i i mean i think i think i probably answered my own question i think it's getting a view <laughs> from from the rest of the panel i i honestly feel that and i know i know we do try and do our best don't we at collaborating mm. but I, I still feel we we do have silos we'll all come together in some group some forum somewhere and we all get good ideas and then we go away and work on them individually and and having seen our ICS come together and the ICBs start to really form, I I just think it's a real opportunity to to do it together. I, I don't think we've got the resource, we haven't got the time, we certainly haven't got money. I just I don't know where I'm coming from on it, but it needs to be bigger than we're doing already is what I'm thinking. It, mm-hmm. We're still quite centre-driven, which is probably the right thing to do and we've got to have the, you know, the checks and balances put in, but there must be ways of bringing in. I think the CIOs are really good at it, and the C CDIOs. I think I think that side are coming together. But ops and the way that each IT team are running, we're trying to do collaboration in Lancashire and South Cumbria now. We're going to start to form something that looks different. But I don't know how much we're learning from anywhere else that started doing it, or I'm going to come to Barry first. What what um. What I'm going to say is that it was really interesting at the start. Obviously, Mike, you weren't here, and obviously it wasn't recorded at the start, but Janet and Barry, you started speaking straight away about EPRs and how you could possibly share with each other and, and you could possibly help share an OBS. And it seems so obvious that, you know, you all should be sharing these things and helping each other out. But I appreciate how difficult that actually is within the NHS. So, Barry, from an ICB level, how do you see possibly the changes and how that could happen and, and the movements? So, I think, and actually... Uh, I wrote back just in terms of that one point in the EPR. So there is a national program of frontline digitization, which does have a collaboration site on there, which we should probably draw more on from it. Mm. Um, it's finding time to dig down on there. Mm. Um, uh, I I think there's two themes that are going through my head. So yes is the obvious answer, um, uh, 100%. And and the two, two, two things which are going through my head is from a professional perspective, um, digital transformation, I don't see as a real thing. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I say it in that way so much that what we're talking about is transforming our services and functions mm-hmm. and digital is enabling that. Yeah. Um, I would want to have a coup, which is just as versed about digital transformation as I am. Uh, clinical uh, directors, leaders, just as transformed around digital as what I am. Um, and in effect... Uh, I, I see us moving to a position eventually where um, we are talking purely about transformation and digital is just part of the answer for what it is we're, changed, we're, we're, we're transforming. So it becomes inherent about change management and transformation. Um, so, so I think there's, there's a really key theme around there, which we need to be working with our executive colleagues, our boards, and, and all the way through to education of the next generation of doctors, nurses, etc., to really make sure that they're skilled and versed around digital digital technologies and how it can support and underpin their work. 
Um, the second kind of theme for me is we have for too many years created organizational silos. We've been forced, you know, we were forced under certain regimes to have competitiveness between us. You know, the acute hospital down the road is now kind of challenging and competing against the other one. And actually part of the introductions of the integrated care systems is to try and remove those walls and work in partnership. And the true belief for me, which is why I love my job, is a patient doesn't see us as individual organisations. And a patient isn't somebody who on Monday has some mental health conditions for which they need some management on. On Tuesday, they might have a long-term condition around diabetes or something. Um, and on Wednesday, they've got some social care support needs around family challenges. The patient's got those happening every single day of the week. Um, and we need to change how we work to remove those barriers and think about being patient-centric. And I'm quite passionate about that. Um, so I don't see the unified EPR work that we're doing across Mid and South Essex as anything other than what we should have been doing 20 years ago. Um, and I don't see the issue around shared cared records being something we shouldn't have been looking about. How do we provide the right information to our voluntary sectors, to our local authority partners, to in order for us to look at this as a holistic perspective for patients. So I, 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 you, you kind of, Janet, with your question, you've hit a real passion point for me. So those are the two kind of key themes that I've got. Um, the third thing that underpins it is we struggle across the whole of our system to get resources to support. And then mm. if I think about certain roles like um, a technical architect, I don't need five technical architects, I need one. Mm. And that one should work in partnership with all, everybody. Um, so I think there is a real piece around resources and the scarcity of resources that should support drive that unified way of working and that partnership working. Thank you, Barry. It's lovely to see you so passionate because I know we only spoke yesterday, but this is an element you, you spoke about, wasn't it? So um, I think it's fantastic you're in that ICB position because that is what we're trying to do, isn't it? We're trying to connect all, all into one. So um, Mike, is there anything from, from your side you'd like to add? Uh, <clears throat> I love the ethos to that. Well, I think how, how do we address the big practicality in that, that you've got potentially 10 organisations with 10 IT teams that need consolidating down and at the point that it's consolidated down, you will lose some people. It will. It's the right thing to do. It saves money a long time. But you've probably 20 data centers in that and twenty set and 40 sets of licenses and all that stuff that everyone does that costs an absolute fortune needs to be addressed. But you need to take all those. They're like little kingdoms, aren't they? That, that have been erected in this silo world. And, and just knock them all down and start again. But it's going to take some really brave people to do that because, you know, people like the, people like having their arms around things. My, my, I, I, I agree. It's not it's not an easy conversation. I, I think if I just reflect on where um, uh, we are as a system, I see single points, risks of single points of failure at the moment. Yep. Yep. Um, I see risks around... Um, the fact that we are using different platforms and technologies to provide cyber resilience, which means we've got different levels of vulnerabilities. And when somebody breaks through the wall, you're only as strong as the weakest link in the system. Uh, so so I, I see risk around all of this as well. And everybody that I speak to within the NHS 
comes to the NHS because they're passionate, something normally has happened somewhere along their life which has driven them to focus about wanting to give back something or wanted to work in a way. So most people I've spoken to really want to come to work to do the right thing. And I think part of tackling that really difficult conversation is showing what the right thing is. And I think you'll have people follow you on that rather than uh, uh, tackling it from a, this is a financial efficiency conversation. This is about improving how we provide those services to our patients who we serve. Yeah. It's when you put um, patient first of everything. And that's what you've just said essentially to do, Barry, is that's when you get the following. And um, I think it's also a great point is that, you know, I speak to people in the NHS day in, day out. And you are right. You know, the people, why they come to work for the NHS is something normally has happened in, in their life or past experience to, to someone, and you know, they care about or for loved ones, whatever it may be, and why they want to do good work for, for good, basically. Um, okay, fantastic. That's, I think it's a really good, um, good last question. Um, one other um, aspect that I was just going to touch on, I'd really keen to get everyone's point of view before we head, because I know we're just conscious of time. Um, in terms of EPR specifically, I know there's a, a big push at the moment to get the whole of the NHS, you know, the next year, everyone being on an EPR or everyone having at least some sort of maturity. Um, how do you see that going? And again, we've got different levels here. Is there anyone thoughts on that? Again, I might come to you first, just because you're at the ICB level and you, you, you know, you're at the start, you're talking about share card with, uh, with Janet. How do you see the EPR world moving in, at the moment? Uh, so I'll, I'll keep it unknownly short on time. Um, one, I think the EPRs are the fundamental cornerstones for what provide um, the capability to care for patients beyond anything else. So so we've got to get those right. And actually, they're right behind the curve, as colleagues have already said. Mm. Uh, I, I think there's a couple of things on it. One is you can start to align capabilities which are generic across multiple different care settings, and that's a journey that we're looking at within Mid and South Essex. Um, it's almost like it's a modular approach. I think we need to be thinking of for EPRs rather than the monolithic approach sometimes. Um, but it's not the only answer. That you you will not change in a year every organisation being on the same system. That's not going to happen. Um, and so there is a need to look at interoperability and the capabilities of sharing information between those systems and improving those standards to drive that care. Um, I think we're, we're a little bit behind on EPRs if I look at the US and where some of the European uh, areas are and that's so that's that's something that we need to start tackling and I'm hoping in the next 24-36 months we'll see system-wide approaches to EPRs. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be a quick journey. No, by all means. Janet, I'm going to come to you because obviously I know we've spoken in the past and um, you mentioned kind of at the start around your EPR journey. Um, I know you can't touch on, on the, the fire details, but you can mention briefly where you are. Um, yeah. What would you like to add? Well, I think just the fact that we are, you know, four, four big acute Northwest Trust that are, you know, all at different places. That mm. That's, the, you know, we probably didn't realise how different the four of us were until we all came together with the, uh, the the ICS team and then the ICB. We probably truly didn't know that, you know, two of us are fairly digitally mature. One completely wasn't. I mean, I had, I, I had a view of, but it wasn't really something I thought about. But what I have found is that, you know, now we're all in a different place. We've got one that's just gone live. We've got two that have got incumbents, one on a, you know, needing to move quickly and the other one that's been planning for a while. Mm. 
and we don't want to take anyone backwards either. So we've mm-hmm. got that fear as well. But what I think, what I do think, um, is the fact that bringing people together that are at different stages helps plan you to go on to the same, you know, the same instance, having the same capability. I, th- I absolutely agree about the sharing. I think you know we should just be able to share. You just just these are patients. I love the you know the idea of. You're absolutely right. The patient has all of the problems all of the time. They don't they don't choose to go to a hospital appointment because today that's not working for me. I'm you know my legs are not too good because of my diabetes. But my diabetes is all right, so I'll leave that till a week next Tuesday. You know that, and they will go on holiday. You know, damn that we move around the country. You know, how dare we all work from home? But you know, um, it, it's that. So I I honestly think the way we'll solve it is. Back to what we've been discussing at the beginning, sharing our information, keeping it real. ICBs, you know, absolutely the way forward because they will keep their eye on everything as we move and move together. So we might only move together in one ICS at the minute, but then that will be almost a, you know, we look out, don't we? You know, we'll look and see what Manchester or Liverpool or Birmingham and, and we'll have a look at what they're doing and then we'll come back and we'll do what we're doing release the competition do the real learning understand where they're going understand why they're going that way what's their decision making what's worked well what hasn't share things like your OBS share things like your lessons learned so that when um, you know Barry starts to put it together we'll hang about we can we can learn things from three different areas that have done it and actually we we will get this right and eventually maybe me you know me retired but it will come there may then just be uh, a few few EPR kind of suppliers that are really, really rocking it and, you know, sharing what we need to share for the benefit of the patient, which we do. We try our best. Let's be really honest. We are all patients at some time or other. Um, But yeah, I I, I, I truly think we will get there. It's all about sharing. Thanks. Thanks, Janet. Uh, Mike, is there anything to add as a a lasting point? Don't shoot me here. Didn't, didn't we try this 12 years ago and it went catastrophically wrong? Yeah. Did we have the right app we learned from it? That's that's just the worry I have. <laughs> and that's the thing. We've been, we have we've been here before from. and it went catastrophically wrong. Yeah. Well, I think I think that learning from that, I think a lot of the people that, had, that were down on, I, I hate that saying, shot floor, but I was, you know, and you you watched the IT teams from a distance. I wasn't in IT, you know, suffer. You saw people leave. You saw people absolutely, it was career limiting. It was it was horrific. And then you saw operational areas that just, you know, um, just lost everything and, and, and the way they worked. Nobody checked processes. Get back to your basics. Get get back to sitting behind the nurse, behind the doctor, behind the, you know, your admission team, behind your health records. Don't don't try and just say we don't need health records anymore. Believe in what they do. Yeah. You don't need paper. You don't really that's what's gotta happen in every single area now. And we start to almost standardise our processes and then our clinical pathways will join on with that and our systems will align. And we've got to learn. Many of us have got bruises from either we went that way or we didn't we went that way. Um and we've got the scars. I think I have a few. But yeah. Me too. Um, I think that's yeah. just what scares me about it. That's I'd agree. I get products are more mature now. The market is slightly better. Yeah. But it, it, if if somebody brought that that 
kind of badge back to it, it would just be tainted so quickly. Oh, it would. You'd lose you'd lose so much uh, respect from so many people. And I don't think any of us have let it happen mm. because, mm. you know, people, you've got three people here are all kind of, yeah, yeah. oh, you know, that's not happening again. I, I think but I, it, it, we've st- I've started to hear that little conversation going and it's already started and it's, oh, it's that again. And you just go, yeah. it could be so much more than that this time. Yeah. Like, I, I think that there's a real piece on here about local ownership and that's part of the challenge from 13 years ago. Yeah. Because um, it was an enforced system rather than a system of choice, um, and uh, what I what I see from the centre is that they are recognising the challenges of what happened last time, and they're not going down a you must choose a certain system route. Um, so I, I think there's that bit around local accountability and local choice, and the critical thing is recognizing that this is about this is a transformation project it's not a digital project and it needs to be led by the clinical and operational teams underpinned and supported by digital so um i i there's enough people at the center that have the scars i i would put my hand up and say i was one of the national colleagues for a period of time and i've got scars from that program um and i'm quite mindful about that as we can kind of move forward in in this system so I, I I remain optimistic that you won't repeat the mistakes. I think that's a good uh, good point to end on, I'd say. Mm. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversations. It has been a fascinating insight into everyone's organisation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Mike Culshaw, Janet Young and Barry Fustick. If you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or you know anyone who would like to be featured on the future podcast, you can drop me a message too. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.